This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known people about their lives, their careers and negotiating those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Paley-Phillips and with me on this starry night is Jim Daly. Hello, hello. Yes, we are recording in the evening. Give me a little in the evening. Behind the curtain. In the, did I come out? I yeah. came out very in the evening, Sorry. mate. In the evening. I'm tired. I get very manly in the evening. I get tired. That's what happens. You get more manly. I get more manly. I think yeah. I, the opposite happens to me. I think I become more feminine in the evenings. I don't. I'm never manly. I don't know what happened there. But yeah, we're doing an evening record. We did a test. A... Um, Shell had a book. Michelle, my wife, had a book that was um, had like like a kind of little test in it to see how masculine you were, and um, or masculine or feminine. And um, her and her friend Gemma, our, well, my friend Gemma as well, our friend Gemma, both did it, and they were both more masculine than me. <laughs> <laughs> but what what does that mean? What what's the test? Well, I think it was like just football? like I, get, I, well, no, I don't know. It wasn't. Well, it wasn't as stereotyped as that. Jim. <laughs> Plenty of female football fans. No, um, <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> I can't remember what the questions were, but yeah, it, 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 yeah, it turned out they were more fem- the more masculine. Than oh, well. No, that's cool. I think just own it. Just yeah, own yeah, it. no, I'm Embrace happy with it. that. I'm happy with that. I I'm, se- I'm sensitive, sensitive soul. I think I'll probably be more like you as well, but we'll uh, send me the test and I'll do it and I can tell people. Yeah, I have week. to find this test. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, um, uh, but anyway, look, we've we got, we got a transcontinental, what's the word I'm looking for? Transatlantic guest this week. Yeah. Hence why we're doing an, in, uh, an evening episode. Yes, our uh, guest was in New York. New York. There you go. How mm. cool is that? Yeah. It's a That's cool place, cool. isn't it? I've never been to yeah. New York. I, it's, it is one place I would really like to go and visit. Yeah, I've been a, I've been twice, I think, and uh, no, three times. Look at, look at me showing off. Oh. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, been once. You've been there three times. <laughs> They're so selfish. Yeah, it's so selfish. Share those, well, I went, share I went those on my, trips around. I went on my honeymoon. Miranda and I. It was one of our stops on our honeymoon. So uh, yeah, it was great. We we saw um, waitress on Broadway. Oh, that was so good. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, but it you is, actually yeah, went to Broadway cool as well. Yeah, did yeah, you go to Times Square? 
Yeah. But no, actually, we didn't. I've been, I, oh, did we? I've been to Times Square before. Mm. But I don't. Oh, yeah. On one of your other trips. So, yeah, I was like, <laughs> you know what? I've been there, done that, mate. So I'm not sure. Oh, we, I think we did, actually. I think we did. No, we definitely did. We did. We walked. We, we, we did. Actually, we did one of the, um, the, the open bus tour things. Oh, I okay. Think, I always used to think they were quite lame, but they're actually, they're such a good way of seeing cities. If you're only there for a few days, they're really good. I think they work yeah. well if it's a country you are a visitor to. Like I imagine yeah, exactly. if you come to London, like a, an open bus tour would be quite interesting. Although I think if you were from England and went on one, it might be a bit naff. Yeah, but even so, like I lived in London for eight years, seven or eight years, and I never did anything touristy. And anytime any anytime I did was when friends came to visit and we'd go up in town, I'd be like, oh my God, this stuff's really interesting. Tower of London's great, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I guess I maybe when Maria's a bit older, you'll yeah. want to take her to see, like, you know, the changing of the guard and yeah. all that kind yeah, of exactly. stuff. Yeah, exactly. I only ever saw that if, like, I happened to be, like, walking Wandering through past. Green Park yeah. Oh, what's and, like, going oh, I'm on? Going through Buckingham Palace. Oh, I might as well see. Yeah, exactly. Why well, is there all these people there. here? Yeah, exactly. What's going on? Oh, this Buckingham guys, Palace. <laughs> those guys in funny hats. What are they doing? It is a bit but, weird, Buckingham Palace, because you do sort of turn that corner and then you're like, oh shit, there's a massive palace there. Yeah, it does sort of. <laughs> depends on where you go through the park, yeah. but like, well, it can if you're coming like from come like, out of nowhere. Yeah, if you're coming from Victoria, this is. Yeah, you, yeah. you can walk up. It's really close to Victoria Station. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can just suddenly turn the corner and you're, you're like, like, oh shit, shit there's a big, big palace there. Oh, it's the Queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, Central London is, is cool, actually. I was. I drove back. I'm going to do it again on Monday after I went to watch Palace against Man City on Monday night. So it was like eight o'clock kickoff. So the game doesn't finish till 10. And of course, when you leave out of town, as you'll know, trains mm. are a nightmare yeah, past yeah, about yeah. 8 p.m. Oh, so I thought, oh, I thought I'll just drive in and my, our mate Rob, my mate Rob um, lives in Crystal Palace. So I parked at his. And then after the game, drove back. So I'm driving back about 11, uh, no, 10, 30, 11. So it's quite late. But I'm driving through central London. There's no traffic. And it's gorgeous. And I'm getting my like my own little one-man tour right through central London. It's so nice. So if you live near London or close, just drive through really late at night. Yeah. And um, it's beautiful. Well, also, things are a lot closer than you realise. I think when you actually walk, you know, you suddenly you're like, you know, you're back in Paris and then suddenly, oh, oh, look, there's the House of Parliament and Westminster and then there's Big yeah. Ben. And then you go around the corner and it's Downing Street and it's all... It's actually all quite close together. You yeah. kind of think it's all like miles apart, but central yeah. London, all the sort of landmarks are all quite close to close together. You can do a really good day out. We sound like we're and we're today we're sponsored by the tourist <laughs> yeah, board yeah, yeah. of Central London. Because, but you can you can do a nice little day out and um, do lots. Oh, we took my my parents' anniversary a couple of years ago. We took them on a um a boat ride on the Thames, and you can get like it's pretty. There's loads of bog standard companies that do it, mm. and it was great. Just a little boat, and then we got off. I think we got off at Houses of Parliament, and then got back on again somewhere else down the South Bank. And yeah, it's there's loads to do. London is great. London yeah. is great. But anyway, we're talking about New York today. We're not even yeah. talking about London. <laughs> no, I'm sure New York's great as well. Well, I mean, it does kind of like it, interestingly, it does kind of lead on to our guest, who is um, Lisa Ann, who's I guess probably one of the most well known pornographic um, actresses. That's the thought, yeah. right word to you use. You said yeah. that so awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might say it again. No, no, no leave, it, leave it in, leave it. Because I guess, because I guess you, there's adult in the industry performer. There's many ways you could Well, say I was going to say yeah. adult industry performer. Then I was saying, no, because she, I think, you know, she self-described as a pornographic um, yeah, is it, is it one of those, is it one of those th- terms that people now don't say? I, I wouldn't, I don't really know, but like, I don't know. I think yeah. you probably, it's, it's one of those well-known terms, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess you probably, 
But I mean, I'm go- I'm googling. You're googling it. I'm literally pornography actress. <laughs> Mate, he's going to come up with all sorts of stuff. Yeah, um, don't do that. Yeah, Lisa's right, phenomenally well known in in the industry, yeah. but obviously she's moved away from the industry. She's become more mainstream. Yeah. She does a lot of radio broadcasting, media. She's got uh, about three podcasts. She's written books, um, and obviously she's an advocate for the sort of. Uh, making sure that it's proper testing within the industry and obviously helping younger uh, industry workers guide them a little bit through the industry, which is a very perilous kind of, you know, as, a, as we find out during the, the conversation, you know, particularly she, she'd been in the industry for since the 1990s where it was very different and, you know, performers got looked after quite well and, and sets were, there was a lot more kind of maybe money and finance behind shoots. Whereas as the internet kind of grew, that kind of thing was all sort of dissipated. And so it was much harder to sort of make money, I guess, as a performer and the filmmakers started to not make as much money because content was free for everybody to look at. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So it's really interesting how she was sort of involved through all these different changes within the industry as well. Um, Yeah. Yet again, the internet has fucked everything up, essentially. Yeah, 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 basically, yeah. But no, she was fascinating to talk to. And obviously, you know, I say long, long career in the adult entertainment industry and um, very outspoken, though, about about her experiences and, and now and, and in many ways become a sort of a mentor for some people as well. And um, fascinating, you know, not something we've covered before on the podcast ever really before. So really fascinating talking to her um, about it. Um, and yeah, just a really nice person, easy to talk to and crucially Really into fantasy football, yeah, uh, which we yeah. also did talk to her about as well um, in our patron section. And I asked her about, she also played, and I didn't know about this, but she played Sarah Palin, former uh, running mate for, um, oh, who was it? Who was the? McCain. Uh, John McCain. McCain, that's right, John McCain. Um, so she played Sarah Palin in sort of a, a, a porn film and, a, and it was a big role for her. And actually, I think it led to her sort of being known internationally. So we asked her about that as well. So that is available in our patron section, which is uh, you can sign up at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash blank podcast. where we do that every week with our guests and have extra content. So listen out for that. Uh, but yeah, a fascinating interview Uh about an industry that we haven't really, we've never really touched before. On, on no, well, because it, you know, it is a, to, you know, it's still a taboo subject, you know, and I think we talked about that process of coming out of the industry and becoming a mainstream kind of person, creative freelancer. Yeah. You know, very difficult to 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 make that man, that move. I should imagine, you know, and we obviously we cover it a little bit, but you know, because there is that kind of stigma attached to that kind of industry, um, and but you know, Lisa Anne is very um strong-minded she's a very bright individual who's planned out her career to the nth degree and that's part you know that's always been part of her thing she's talked about at the earlier stages in the podcast she's always been very organized and um you know pragmatic you know about her her approach to to her work and business and um and that's what it is it's work it's business you know is you know for some people it's it's a strange way to maybe earn a living but it's you know it's you know she had a great time she enjoyed doing it and she well, and know, it was very profitable for yeah, her yeah exactly in the 90s. i mean they made a lot you know people made a lot of money so yeah very very interesting and uh i'm sure you'll uh i'm sure people will find it interesting because uh yeah she was absolutely great before we do that should we crack on with a couple of uh tweets i've got a couple of tweets if you fancy hearing Go for tweet. it I, I haven't got any so well i'll do two from the same person um they're both from uh ian <laughs> well, williams a one listener 
Oh, one listener. Come on. Hello, Ian. Uh, Ian Williams has tweeted us. Uh, first of all, loved Les Dennis on the pod. Ah, oh, we love Les. Uh, praising Barry Cryer, of course. Hearing that Tim Vine joke spoke very well. Fascinating to hear his story without any tabloid angle getting in the way. Um, fantastic. Thank you, Ian. I'm glad you appreciate that. And that is the beauty of podcasts, isn't it? That is the, the, there is no angle. People, we, people are here to talk. And uh, yeah, Les was fascinating. So do listen to that episode if you haven't heard it yet and then another one from ian i'm going to use this as a chance to plug our patron again he said um love the episode of justin morehouse uh, which was last week's episode uh, yeah, um, loved, oh, loved such one. a great episode justin was hilarious i can't believe you didn't ask about phoenix knights last minute winner in off the bar love those series ian we did it's in our patron <laughs> section which i did reply to him on twitter saying so again patron.com slash blank podcast we of course asked justin about phoenix knights and uh every week we ask our listeners oh sorry our guests extra content which you'll get with our patron. Yeah. Mate, I've done it seamlessly this week. What a promo. Oh, so good, so good. And yeah, you couldn't not ask Justin about Phoenix and no, Exactly. I exactly. mean, it's like a b- b- pinnacle part of his career. I mean, and we, and obviously we were cynical and put it in the uh, Patreon. <laughs> we love our patrons. We like, to, we like yeah. to give them a reward. Yeah, we give them gifts. So there we um, go. Yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, look, this, this week's gift to our listeners is the fantastic Lisa Ann. And uh, this is her talking about working in the adult industry and leaving it and uh, everything that's come in between. So this is Lisa Ann on The Blank Podcast. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. Um, really, really um, lovely to talk to you. Now, looking at your social media output, it looks like you're incredibly busy all the time. All the do time. You, yeah. Do you enjoy being busy? Are you good? Are you good at relaxing? Are you good at taking time out? Sure. We just don't post photos of that. You know what I mean? I just had a six-day staycation with a friend of mine that's been in my life for thirty years. It was her first trip post-COVID, which there's still. You know, some people that we've been literally having to pry out of their homes. Um, And yeah, we just hung out the whole time. So what I do is I use a scheduler during those times and have posts going out. Uh, Every night before I go to bed, I set up five or six posts for Instagram for the next day and I save them in drafts. And then when we're out and about, all I have to do is hit post. That's a good way of doing it. That sounds like you're quite organized. I, I'm the exact opposite. I'm very much would like to be organized and would like to be scheduling <laughs> yeah. things. And then two days passed, I think, oh, I haven't posted anything. I've done anything. But it sounds yeah. like you're, have you always been quite a sort of organized person? Always. Uh, very, very, very OCD, very organized, very ahead of things. It's just, to me, it's how I stay in my happy place, right? Knowing that things are lined up for me uh, and that I'm not going to run into the panic of being behind on something just really helps me handle things that might take longer you know the next day you get on a call you have a meeting it took longer than expected it's nice to know that every night before you go to bed you just put those posts in your drafts yeah yeah i need i'm like jim (laughs) disorganized but i think it's it's quite inspiring to see because obviously you look like you're really on it and uh and obviously you're doing so much stuff it's also a great, you know, form of income, right? So the more followers yeah. you have, the more interactions you get. You look into your insights, and that's really what you're using for branding and marketing for companies. So it's a business, and yeah. as fun as it is, and as you know, fun as social media is, it is actually a true business. And so when you can move traffic and you can stay consistent with your timelines, then you have multiple different streams of income, uh, allowing you to continue to stay focused. 
Yeah. 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 Are you interested in the analytics and stuff? Do you enjoy Oh, that? I look at them every day, every day. Yeah. I look at all of my analytics across the board on social media, as well as my podcast, as well as my YouTube, um, because it, it helps me know where I'm, I'm missing a target, uh, where I could do better. And it's great that they offer you all these tools mm. for free. You know what I mean? Like I can remember when I first got into the industry and I was running a fan club and it was by mail. And yeah. so, you know, I'd have to go to the P.O. box. I'd have to open all these money orders. I was selling like eight by tens and things. And when you struggle and you do that for, let's say, I think I did that for maybe 10 years before we started utilizing MySpace or, you know, other forms <laughs> yeah, of social MySpace, media. Yeah. And to me, it just seemed like, wow, this is so easy. And all this data is here for me. And I don't have to sit in open mail and, uh, you know, decipher people's handwriting. I mean, people would you know, write their address, you'd be like, I hope I send this photo to the right address because his handwriting is horrible, you know? So I think for me, it's just all this has been laid out there for us. And to not take advantage of it is a true waste of the technology that they've spent so many people and minds and great minds and so much money to continue to upgrade and to perfect. Yeah, but I guess, I guess you know, social media can be overwhelming, can't it? I mean, for all it's good, obviously it can... It can attract a lot of comments or overwhelming stuff as well. But I guess from what you're saying, it's like if you treat it like a business, you know, then it will treat you like a business, if that makes sense. But do you ever True. find it overwhelming it, it, at times? Um, I did, you know, when it first started because I didn't realize how fast it would grow, how many followers I would get, how much people feel compelled to say the most obnoxious things via social media that they might not say to you in person. Yeah. So sure. I went through that curve, right? And then I really learned, I took a class through Hootsuite, which is uh, what you use to set up your posts to go out on Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, once I started realizing like, okay, there's a systematic approach to this. I want to educate myself on it. I want to do it properly. And that allows you to take days where you don't look at it at all. It's yeah. all set up for you other than hitting send on Instagram. Everything else is going out. And so you get a time to kind of cleanse your brain. But I just had this conversation with my girlfriend who was here because even though we're only four hours apart, four, four hours, four years apart, she to me seems like a 90 year old when it comes to the internet and social media. <laughs> and I, and I just kept saying to her like, well, you know, we're only four years apart. Like it's unbelievable how she'll be like, you know, this came up in my phone. I'm like, well, what did you hit to get there? Oh, well, I was in Facebook and I hit this. Well, you know, of course, you hit the home thing that's going to give you a feed of other people's videos. So you're wondering how they got into your Facebook, but they didn't. All the icons are similar. Once you get used to social media, you can also find your way around other apps very well. And you can become more just user friendly on the Internet. So we did a ton of tutorials because she could be using Instagram for her work. Uh, she's a financial planner and you know, there's a generation, especially Gen Xers, Gen Zers, they're not going to walk in to meet somebody in person. They're just not going to do that. And if you don't appear giving them the information where they choose it to be fed to them on social media and on apps, then you're just not going to have their business. And I think it's very short-sighted for people to not realize the power and the impact and the fact that that younger generation relies on apps and social media to live. And if you don't jump into their space, it's like you're living in a totally different neighborhood that they're never going to visit. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
People don't always realise that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about the doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating and overeating. Oh man, that's all me. It's like someone's just described me in one sentence. Teeth grinding, I, I didn't realise that was a stress thing, but I do that all the time. So that's really interesting to find out that's a... Wow, that does make sense, actually. Do you do that? Do you teeth grind? I don't teeth grind, but I do have um, a shaky leg. So, like, I'm always, like, moving my legs and stuff. And Michelle, my wife, is often, like, putting her her hand on my leg to stop it from shaking because it's always shaking. And I think that is also a stress-related thing. Yeah, I think clearly, um, yeah, stress comes out in many different ways. And these might be things that you think are just, like, oh, a little tick that I do. But actually, it's a a stress thing. Stress can show up in all kinds of ways. And in a world, obviously, that's telling you, to do more sleep less and grind all the time whether it's you know life grind or teeth grinding like i do uh, here is your reminder to take care of yourself do less and maybe try some therapy well yeah and as you know jim we always say that this podcast is a bit like therapy for us every week it's that opportunity to talk to one another and to have conversations uh, that are open and candid with other people and we often talk about these things with our guests definitely in between me grinding my teeth obviously yeah BetterHelp is customised online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat sessions with a therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. Blank podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash blank. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash blank. Well, they call it. They call my my. I've got two teenagers, and uh, they're like the digital natives. I mean, that's all they're used to. You know, they they just and it, it they live and breathe technology. Um, yeah. So, like you say, like to to forego that in some way. I've got friends like your friend probably just don't use. They just don't use. I mean, one of my friends has got such an old phone. Like you know, it's like, it's like one of those Nokia phones. Um, not quite that bad, but he he just doesn't doesn't know how to use social media at all and he's sort of I feel like he's sort of missing out on quite a lot of stuff well you are because you're missing out on the current conversation you're missing out on the live feed of now look there's a lot of fake news as we call it or 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 things on on social media right you're not going to sit through all of it but you are going to get you know for me a big sports fan uh if something major happens like one of the coaches uh the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Bruce Arians he stepped down he gave his coaching job to Todd Bowles I, I knew that because I was just working on Twitter and I saw it trending. Yeah. So I see any athlete's name comes up, you click on it. What's happening? Was it a trade? Uh, was there a car accident? Like whatever it may be. Like this is how you know the most important things that are happening in the world as opposed to waiting to sit down and watch like your eight o'clock news and have to wait for that story to come at the yeah. end of the, of the whole newscast because it's their tease for the whole hour. Who's got that kind of time when you can get it just fed to you in such a seamless way? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Talking about sports, you, you're from Pennsylvania originally. Yeah. And sports was a big part of your life, right? You, I know you, you, did you play basketball? I know you skied as well. I did play basketball and skied. Yep, both of those things were a big part of my growing up. Um, and I was just very much into sports. Went to all of the local college games, basketball with my mom. Uh, my dad was a big football fan. We saw him on Sunday, so I watched football every Sunday. And, you know, when you live in, a, in the Northeast, 
you know, your whole season change is really about what sport is next, right? It's much different than when you live in California where the weather's nice all year long and you're not going to sit home all day and watch football. It's, it's cold. It's dreary. It's snowy. There's no guilt sitting down to watch sports all day. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, I, I, go on. Sorry, John. So, go on, Jim. No, no, go on. I was gonna say, well, Giles and I are both big soccer fans. Um, which I know. I know. <laughs> I assumed anybody overseas is soccer. It's all soccer yeah. or rugby. Yeah. Uh, you're in Australia. It could be footy. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it's, it's different everywhere, but you know, you also still in Europe, uh, London, getting some U S teams to come there and play games. Uh, yeah. it is pretty international. Yeah. It's, it's even weird for me saying soccer, to be honest, because obviously we'd normally say football. So even that <laughs> yeah. sounds weird coming out of my mouth, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, football was a big part of growing up for me and Giles as well, wasn't it, Giles? It was, um, and still is to this yeah, day. Is, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's amazing that thing that, you, like sports has got this incredible narrative about it that stays with you and like the stories, every week there's a new story. And so it's just this wonderful thing to be involved in. I think I always feel sorry for if people aren't into sport in any way because it's such wonderful drama and excitement and camaraderie and, and companionship that comes from it. It's not just about the game. Agreed. Agreed. And it's also a great escape, right? Yeah. It can, it can be the escape that gets you away from the news. It can be the escape that makes you forget about work. Uh, whatever it is you got going on, it's not important when you're watching your favorite teams play a game. That's true. And in fact, our favorite team, Crystal Palace, are in the semi-final of the FA Cup next week, which is big for us because we're normally traditionally quite bad. So that is, uh, that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> that's genuinely quite big. Actually, where you are you two located? So I'm on the south coast in, in, in the UK, which is right near like a little town called Brighton. So right on the south coast. Jim's in Chesham, which is sort of Buckinghamshire. Yeah. So just kind of north of London, aren't you? Yeah, sort of northwest of London. So we're both, we're both sort of like outside London, but not close enough to be cool enough to be in London, but just sort of yeah. <laughs> slightly <laughs> further out. Uh, that's where we are. But you're, I mean, speaking of sports, you're, you're really into fantasy sports. Is that right? Yes, I do fantasy football uh, up until this year. I did fantasy football, basketball, and baseball. But this year, I just decided I was going to reel it back to just football, enjoy that short season, and have some free time to travel. I think, you know, the thing that I missed the most during the pandemic was travel. And and I have friends all over the world because I traveled for 30 years. And so to be still and not have that freedom and flexibility so when the world was, you know, opening up this year, I thought, I just don't want to be locked in. It held me down. For the last two years to just watch, watch, watch. But when you're following baseball and basketball, you don't really have an off season. And where a lot of hosts that just cover fantasy football or just cover football, you know, we start really working on it in July. You know, the draft is now finished. Teams are starting to build. Free agency is over. You're getting ready to August is fantasy football draft season. Then you got preseason and the season and fantasy football season usually ends around New Year's. So you don't have games that you're really focused on for the playoffs you get to actually just enjoy the playoffs down to the super bowl so i decided to just condense that there knowing that i wanted to get out and see people and uh, promote my new book and do all the things that we just weren't doing uh and it's been you know i have a nice travel schedule i'm getting to go to switzerland for my first time this year very excited um but yeah that was for me that was the hardest thing was not you know i did get a passport stamp in 2020 I flew to Turkey to shoot a commercial series for Durex, and that was peak pandemic, had to be tested every day, had to have working papers to get over there, but it didn't matter 
um, I had a promise to myself that I would never go a year without a passport stamp. And uh, that was really bothering me the whole year. And when I was trying to put this trip together, you know, my agent and my people, everybody was like, are you sure you want to go? Like, you want to go now? And I'm like, yeah, I just, it's just a thing with me. Like, I'm not, you know, we, we blew this a bit out of proportion, if you ask me. And it was devastating and tragic, but only 3% of people that contracted COVID passed away from COVID, which is still a large number. But to make everybody in the world just stop their life just seemed really absurd to me. So I still traveled regularly, just mainly in the U.S. But that one international trip, getting that passport stamp, I was in an instable airport. It was, it's brand new airport. It's beautiful. And it was like when she, because they still do the old school stamp, you know, some places it's not yeah. even a stamp anymore. It's such a bummer. Like, come on, I want to fill this passport. <laughs> yeah. and, and she did that stamp. And I was one of two people in first class. It was like, you know, it was empty flight. It like echoed through the whole airport. Like it just, it felt like a vibration of sound. And I just looked at her and I said, do you know how much joy that sound just brought me? And she just looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> that's so cool. And so that's, that's interesting. So traveling is obviously a big part of your life as well. So what, what eventually took you from, cause I know you lived in, obviously you lived in California for work for a long time. What eventually took you to California from Pennsylvania? Getting in the adult business, um, yeah. doing movies, that's where it was, you know. And so I worked at a club for two years, starting when I was 18, uh, that had feature dancers. And those were the adult stars, the magazine models, the playmates uh, that all came through and danced there. And, you know, I knew that I wanted to continue making this type of money and having this type mm -hmm. of freedom. And, you know, when I was 16, I wrote in a journal, I wanted three things. All of my cousins were like, I want to get married. I want to have babies. We were all doing this like think tank as children, right? Teenagers. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to travel and see the world, have financial freedom. At that time, it was make my own money um, and make my own schedule. Those were like the three things because I saw my parents worked a lot and people just worked a lot. I was like, I remember just thinking like, gosh, we don't live in that great of an area. Everybody works so much. They have like no mm. life. So those three things. And so when I started meeting these women uh, and asking them questions about the industry, I realized, wow, this could be a vehicle for me to see the world on somebody else's dime while I'm getting paid, while I'm choosing what jobs I want, which means I'm making my own schedule. So uh, my first flight in my entire life, because I never flew with my parents because they just didn't fly, uh, was to California. I bought a one-way ticket to get in the business. Wow. Oh, wow. So what, that, that is a, a commitment, buying a one-way yeah. ticket. You knew, you know, so you were quite, yeah, you, you had it all focused out and ready. And you were ready I wanted to, to live in California since I was a teenager, like just watching 90210 on TV and <laughs> just seeing the, you know, it's just everything about it was the allure. And I just wasn't, you know, it's funny because I come from a small town. I have 35 first cousins, but there's only like three of us that have moved out of my small town. So you become that, you're that black sheep that wants to see and do more. I mean, we went to the Jersey Shore every summer. We did the same vacation. I pretty much like despised my parents for these things. I was like, why are my friends from school going to Myrtle Beach? And going, we, we, the furthest we went was Florida. Of course, it was by car. My grandfather's parents took us. But we did the same things. And I just knew young, like I was, that was not my life. I needed to explore more. I was very curious. I wanted to see how other people lived, be around other cultures, um, and travel to other countries. And it's very common that my relatives my age don't even have a passport and don't feel like they never need one. Like my own brother is the type of person that's like, why would I need a passport? I'm like, 
oh my gosh, like you don't ever want to leave the United States for anything. Like what is wrong with you? But some people just aren't curious. And when you grew up in a small town, you can stay in a very comfortable bubble and never have to see the rest of the world. But to me, that just wasn't living. Yeah, it's 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 a story that's come up on the podcast a few times before. And, and people have said like they, they felt like a bit like an outsider, really, because they were the, the one person that wanted to be curious and get out. Did you, did you sort of have similar feelings at that time? Oh, yes, completely. Plus, you know, in high school, um, most of my friends were having babies. Uh, you know, like you think people were doing things that I was like, I'm not doing that. I want to be doing this. Mm. And it wasn't as much of a feeling like an old outsider. I had a neighbor friend who was never had her own children. So I was kind of like a daughter to her. She lived to be almost 102 years old, passed wow. away before her 102nd Amazing. birthday. So I had her for 43 years of my life. And you know, she allowed me to be curious. Uh, she told me that I would probably live other places. Uh, she told me to never accept mediocrity and to try new things. She's like, this town will always be here if you want to come back. But why wouldn't you go out there and explore and see and do more? Well, like you say, we've only got this one opportunity in our lives, haven't we? We've got one life that we can explore the world and explore ourselves and everything else. And, and yeah, why not? And um yeah, that's it's funny. Is uh, that's another thing that often comes up actually is that, that a lot of people we talk to they have, there's one person that kind of believes in them yeah. or gives them that moment of inspiration or or just even just the confidence to go and do that thing. And it's amazing that you had that. And that also, my life. grandparents had a traveling greeting card business. Um, and when I was a kid, they had a motorhome, and it was designed half into a distribution center for my grandfather's greeting cards, and they would travel all through the U.S. And so I got to go with them when I wanted to. And my grandmother was from Canada, so we used to go and see her sisters in Canada. And my brother didn't like to go, but I liked to go. So it was kind of our choice who wanted to go. And they really, I watched them run their business. I watched them use maps and write out their trips because we did not have the internet, of course. And that just to me was the beginning. That was the base of like, okay, this is great. I'm going to tr try different foods. You see different things, and I loved it. I knew I loved it as a young girl. I was like, oh, I want to see new things all the time. Yeah. So you had this focus. You had this real sort of plan and focus, and it involved getting to California. And then what was it like getting into the industry? Was it was it what you expected, or did it happen in a different way? I didn't way? really – you know, I was so young. I didn't really have expectations. And also, the industry was very different in the 90s. You know, if you were an attractive girl – uh, you were most likely going to be a contract girl. So you'd only work for one company. There wasn't the need for as much content as there is now because of the internet. Mm. So you would work one day, you know, shoot one movie a month, which might've been a day or two of dialogue and a day or two of the scenes. Right. But it was very different. So you were, you were diversified. You did bookstore signings, you did feature dance gigs. And in the nineties, it was like one big family. Everybody was wonderful and super nice. And there wasn't this need for a level of competition because there wasn't this need for as much content. So every, you know, production company made their things and everybody sold their things. And it was this small, very profitable, uh, world. And the internet really changed that just like the internet changed it for musicians where musicians realized, okay, we got to go out on the road again because yeah. we're not going to make money off of our music anymore. So, you know, there's all these sharing sites and streaming sites. So that's where it really changed. That was probably more glamorous in the 90s than I thought it was going to be. 
everybody was probably nicer than I thought they were going to be. Um, but I had met so many nice women that had come through my club that I stayed in contact with that I got to see when I went to California. So I didn't feel very alone. Uh, and it was, it was a great opening experience. It's interesting because, um, obviously the adult industry, you're, you're doing very intimate acts and it feels like that from the outside looking in that, that, that there perhaps isn't the connection. You don't necessarily make connections with people as much. Maybe it was different there in the 90s. It was different then. Recently. And also it was very different because, you know, Viagra had not been invented yet. Right. Yeah. So a guy couldn't just take a pill and be ready to shoot. So you two right. had to really connect and yeah. you had to really be into each other to do the scene too, or the guy wouldn't be able to do it. So that made it very different too. Yeah. And a lot of pressure on, 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 on guys, I guess, in those situations, I know. you know, isn't it sad you know, that it's it's the one watching and stuff, and you, yeah. you can't get wood. I guess that's what they used to yeah. say. Yeah, that's <laughs> what they call it. Isn't it sad that it's the one business where the women make more than the men, and men actually are, you know, fairly important to this whole thing working out. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's interesting to hear, yeah. to hear you say that there was support from people there, because I mean, I think we hear so many things about the industry, but from the early days, certainly there were women supporting women or I guess anyone in the industry supporting each other. That sounds, I'll be honest, that sounds maybe nicer than I, I thought it might be. But you have to also remember we were a different world in the nineties. People mm. were generally nicer. People were more mindful of others, less competitive. People weren't trying to step on each other's throat to come up. We didn't even know how to do that yet. You know, the internet changed that because then we learned of the word clout you know, somebody's going to try to use your photo or use you for clout for their page. So once it became this like very clear doggy dog world, right? Like I can, I can make myself better by taking advantage of you. Um, in a smaller knit community that like the industry was in the nineties, that would have been really frowned upon. Um, you know, people would have just stuck together and said, okay, well, I guess we're not going to have this person invited into our world because they're not nice. <laughs> I mean, it was like that. So mm. the, you know, people in general have changed. Uh, and that's, you know, very apparent now to how people are responding as you read articles. Uh, you guys read articles every day about how many shootings we have in the U.S. It's like normal. We're used to every day there's a school shooting and not a day goes by a grocery store shooting. Like you didn't see that as much then. I just think people were very different. Yeah, and you could, you could, we could make the argument that the internet has obviously exacerbated. Of course, within, you know, yeah, here in the UK and obviously in in the US. Oh my well. gosh! When I turn on Twitter in the morning, the first thing I say to myself is, "I wonder what the world's angry about today." Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 there's usually, you know, something going on that you don't really know a lot about, but a lot of people are talking about it. I'm like, oh, this is what they've got today, and this is how we're expressing ourselves instead of doing something better with our time yeah it's it, it's definitely time because i think it takes it takes up your time and your energy to be angry and we, we talk about this on the podcast bef before and so i'm trying to be really careful with like curating what goes into my feed on twitter so that i'm not just because i will i'm like an, an emotional sort of person so if i see other people getting angry then i start to and then i'm sort of wasting my oh, time thinking about that. it or, yeah my rule of thumb is this, and I tell the younger people that I speak with in the industry a lot, like if you have something that's bothering you, this is when you use the phone a friend feature, like a game show, <laughs> phone a friend, 
Do not put something out there that can divide your following. Do not put something out there that could be misunderstood. Do not engage in negativity in a free space in the open world of the internet. Vent this to somebody who cares about you and can give you some one-on-one -on -one feedback on how to process the data or is this real or should you be bothered by this or why does this bother you? Do you need to see a therapist? You know, the internet will suck you in. There's a great book I just read a couple of months back called Love People, Use Things. It's by the minimalists, and they're two of my favorite humans. And they said scrolling is the new smoking. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so true. How many times are you between a project? You know you need to check an email, but you're like, oh, I'll just stop at Twitter real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to tell yourself, no, I should go and do what I have to do, but it's so easy. You make yourself a cup of coffee. I'll oh, just, just stroll Twitter while I'm drinking my coffee. Like, it, we, we all do it. It's habitual now. Yeah, it's so true. And if you said, if you, if someone said mm. to you, oh, I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is I have a smoke or I have a drink, you'd be like, mate, you've got a problem. But if you say first thing in the morning is you go and scroll Twitter, which is exactly what I do, I mean, it's not a million miles away. Jim, you've got a problem. I think I've got a problem. <laughs> No, it is. It's so true. And do you know what? I've, I've come off Twitter recently and um, I was feeling a bit like kind of low, like generally low. And someone pointed out to me that I was having a dopamine withdrawal because, um, you know, I'm used to getting all the extra likes and retweets and blah, blah, blah. And then I've gone from not have, get having that at all. And obviously it, my mood's completely changed. And, you know, and I think, God, that, you know, that, like you say, it's, the, it's that withdrawal symptom from it as well. It's quite, it's quite, quite dangerous and quite scary, actually. And that's what that whistleblower that came out and spoke against Facebook before they changed their name to Meta. Um, yeah. You know, what she was talking about was how we've created this dopamine release and how we're constantly triggering people because we have become a society that loves to see awful things whether it's a news story a crime you click on that story you want to know more why do you want to know more and then it's harder to find good stories right positive stories uh, i just had found a story the other day that i shared with all of my girlfriends it was a young uh, high school student and she got accepted to 50 colleges and i thought well this is a great story like this is something Amazing, that should yeah. make it we should be sharing this story this is the type of content we all need like how impressive like kudos to her parents like and i i sent this photo i the the, the story with the photo to my friends and i said we will see this young woman somewhere in our lives remember this young woman's face she's probably going to be a politician or a president or a really well known she's going to be something because here she is at high school uh, applying to all these schools and getting accepted yeah, we do definitely need <laughs> loads more things about that. So going back to your time, in, so obviously in the 90s, you were, it, it was quite good in the industry. When did you start? Obviously, when the internet kind of dawned around, I suppose like the late 90s was when it really started to kick off. Was it quite a rapid change or did you, did you start so to notice it? I would say for slowly? us, it was about 2003 um, when it really became. And I think the biggest change was this. First of all, we quickly realized that there were going to be tube sites stealing the content as fast as you put it up there. So you are going to have to try and figure out a way to constantly be making more content to, to, to defend that, that, that stealing. Um, that was going to make your product less unique. Um, we also realized that there was no longer going to be an age gate because all young people have to do is click that they're 18 as opposed to entering in any sort of 
credit card or anything like that that would give them that would vet an age. And so that was that was a tough for everyone because we realized, well, now what we're doing is going to have a massive effect on people. And one of the things I'm currently studying is incels. Do you guys know what incels oh, are? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm deep in it right That's now. That's a dark area. <laughs> Be careful. So I'm deep in it because, you know, the FBI and, and, this, and the Secret Service has finally released to us here in America that – this will be our next biggest issue. This will be our, these are cells that are setting up. These are the people that could create a mass crime, right? That, and there's a lot of them. And um, most of them have become addicted to pornography by the time they were 10 or 11 years old. Wow, you know, their parents God. thought that they were gaming. Wow. The gaming devices are synced up with these these adult sites where there's little thumbnails that pop up, the kid clicks on it, he's addicted. And next thing you know, he's incredibly insecure. And next thing you know, he doesn't realize that not all women look like that. And he wonders why the girls in his school are, don't look like he has no social skills. He's not engaging with others. Now he's weird. Once he's weird, then that tension and that animosity, like I'm so floored by what I'm learning. I cannot believe that this group of young men, which for those who doesn't know what an incel is, an incel is an involuntarily celibate man. And they normally have rage towards both sexes. The rage towards men are men that are bigger than them. Their biggest hangup is a jawline. They think that's what attracts women. So they punch themselves in the face and try to create scar tissue to create a stronger jawline. And then they resent women because They've set their standards so high that nothing appeals to them that they is obtainable. Like the nice girl that would talk to them is just not desirable. And the women that they want would never talk to them. So then there's that. And they're, 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 they're already starting to see this in different crimes and different mass acts and shootings and school shootings. And so I'm down the rabbit hole learning everything because this ties into the negative effect of adult content, but you cannot in the U S interview a minor anyone under 18 about their porn watching habits because we're still supposed to act like they're not watching it. So so in that way, it can't really be sort of properly investigated then? Well, you can now because there's more rehabilitation centers and there's more of those centers that are helping people share their story. So we're finally getting willing participants. Like I'm collecting some emails myself just by dropping it on my podcast and by talking about it here and there. And I'm floored at like, I just got one last week, 21 year old. He's been completely addicted for 10 years. So since he was 11, he has no ability to talk to women. He's never gone to any school functions. He has no friends. And so he's isolated himself so much. And when he's alone, he can't stop watching it. So he doesn't have anything else that he wants to be doing either because it's just like alcohol, cigarettes, it's addicting. And so now he's completely addicted and has to find a way to pull himself out of this. And really, he's going to need to go to a treatment center. Um, he's going to need support with his family. And parents just think giving kids a phone is the answer. But this is what's happening to young men who are exposing themselves to. You can't care, compare yourself to a male porn star who knows what he's doing when you're <laughs> yeah. a kid that doesn't know what they're doing. And also it just derails any understanding of intimacy. So they don't care to connect with other people. They just want what they're seeing on that screen. Yeah. And, and you use the word isolation as well. And, uh, and we've said before on the podcast how dangerous 
isolation can be if you're not talking to people or talking about problems or addictions you're having, especially for young men. I know, I know young men, that is an awkward age anyway, but then when you're throwing in this kind of addiction and the isolation, it's, it's a really dangerous mix. I think the biggest struggle we'll see post-pandemic is definitely going to be mental health uh, here. I don't know about over there, but it was a long time. You know, living in New York, we we're completely closed for 15 months. Um, you know, that's a lot, especially on young people, teenagers, uh, these are very important times for them to shape their personalities and be around their people and very important for them to up their social skills and not just be chatting on the Internet. Yeah. And and, and I'm just thinking there because obviously I'm harking back to the 90s and obviously in the 90s, you could probably know better who's going to get hold of, I guess, DVDs or videos or whatever. And you could be maybe sure of who was seeing it. And as you say, now with the Internet, anyone. Well, can... the only way to get adult content before the Internet was to physically show your ID. Right. Exactly. You had to go to adult yeah. bookstores and show your ID. So there was a gate at that time. Yep. Whereas now and it was the it's the tube sites because the tube sites, they're all free. So once they started allowing free content, the only way that other companies could compete was to also give teasers of free content that would then drop you down in a subscribe page, right? But the tube sites really were what put it out there to the full scene. And then everybody else kind of jumped on board. And then, you know, Twitter, like Twitter shouldn't allow porn. You know, Twitter should have an age gate. Like you shouldn't, that's not for there. You know what I mean? There's kids on Twitter, but you see a lot of porn on Twitter. So everyone's just kind of thrown in the towel and said, oh, you know, okay, sarah, sarah. But it's more than that. It's creating a deep-rooted problem with young people, and that's going to affect our generation later down the road. Like, you've got to think about 20 years from now, what are these people going to be doing? Yeah, completely. Because I was going to ask, do you think that there's obviously a sort of a, a lack of responsibility or even a want from the from the industry or I guess it's more the tech industry to actually kind of put in anything in place to stop that happening? It is and it isn't. I also think it's a parent's responsibility. And I think parents haven't owned up to the fact that you have new responsibilities as a parent. And one of them is to know what your kids are doing on the Internet. You wouldn't let your kid out on the street in New York City to roam around for six hours and not ask them who they're talking to or what they're doing. But kids will pass, kids will be pacified by their parents with the phone and unlimited Internet. And so, you know, I mean, yes, it, it, but the adult companies are doing the right thing. They're putting you have to be 18. It's someone's kid that's lying and saying that he is. You know, Twitter could have some sort of an age gate or could do better at, you know, banning content or uh, doing those types of things. Instagram's very good. Facebook's very good. Uh, they'll just, you know, ban the accounts if somebody puts adult content. TikTok's really good. So there are apps that have made an honest effort, but how much can you blame it on the adult companies when they're putting a disclaimer that you have to be 18? Is that is that because parents don't want to have an awkward conversation, essentially? I just think a lot of parents are in denial of how easy yeah. it is to find stuff. I mean, I answered questions the other day from fifth graders, sex questions from fifth graders. And uh, one of the questions was, who has the biggest boobs and butt? And I thought, <laughs> okay, if this fifth grader has asking this question, he's seen porn. Yeah. 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 Why would he know those words? Yeah. One kid asked if you have to eat vagina to have sex. Oh my god. My god, a fifth grader said that. I was like, okay, he's watched porn. Wait, he sees it happening. It doesn't appeal to him and he doesn't want to do it. 
Uh, so that's why he asked it. And how old are fifth graders? Well, that's fuck. like 10, isn't it? Yeah, 10. Wow, fuck. Yeah. yeah. I knew a long time ago I didn't want to have kids, and I'm so glad I never did, because this sounds like a <laughs> tall task. You know, you could have adult content blockers. You can also go through and kind of see what your kids are looking at for during the day. It's a, I guess it's a lot of extra work, but somebody's got to do it, and we can't blame it on the companies who are putting a disclaimer out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, being a parent is a minefield enough, but obviously you, you chuck this in and I'm a parent and my, my daughter's only two and a half, but like essentially your number one remit is you will protect that kid. That's all you want to do. Yeah. And so this is another right. extension of doing that. And if you have to sure. do what you have to do to stop them watching this stuff, that is your way of protecting them. And, you know, I just interviewed Chris Hansen for my podcast, The Lisa and Experience. I had him on a couple of months ago and he said he went into a high school to just do a, you know, a focus group and he was talking to a group of kids and he asked some great questions that I think parents should ask their kids. One of the questions was, has anyone ever made you feel uncomfortable on the Internet? That's a great question, yeah. you know, and then you can start from there. OK, what about it made you feel uncomfortable? Yeah. What did you do about it? You know, you want to know, does your, did your kid block somebody that then maybe might retaliate? You should want to know that. And that was like, oh, I was like, oh, that's great. He said, everyone raised their hand. And then he asked them how many told their parents that somebody made them feel uncomfortable on the internet. Only three kids raised their hand. Yeah. Because they're probably afraid they're going to get their phone taken away. Yeah. But instead absolutely. of looking, but it's a great, like, it would be a greatly weekly touch base at dinner. Okay, how was your week this week? Okay, what's gone down for you on the internet? Yeah. Tell me. Are friends fighting? Are you seeing nasty things? Did you see a news story you don't understand? Was somebody weird with you? You know, it, it, it can't be that difficult. That's a really good way of doing it as well, because that doesn't frame the kid as like no. having done something wrong. It's more like, no, how not is at it all. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You want to engage in this open forum with them where you, they know you understand. You can even tell them a story of something that happened to you. Yeah. My friend posted something on Facebook and I couldn't stand it. It was so annoying. You know, and that's, and then they can relate to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's amazing. And it's, it's really interesting about the incel stuff. It's only so, sort of recently I've kind of discovered it. I think I was listening to a true crime podcast and it was a guy who'd um, had murdered someone on there and he was it was all and it was sort of explaining incel and he was an incel and, and I'd never really heard the term before, but it was um, yeah, it was really scary and um, yeah, quite fascinating as well. I can imagine it's, here's the um, story. Here, here's the story that just came out. I was just googling it for us. Okay. Okay. New Secret Service report details growing incel terrorism threat. Terrorism. Oh, right. Terrorism, Shit. yeah. So when I say cells, I mean terrorists. I mean these kids are going to all get together in every state in the United States. So now what they're doing is they're trying to monitor them, which is going to be a very difficult thing to do because these kids are way smarter on the Internet than uh, most of the people that would be researching this. But... Yeah, it, it's 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 common. You know, they start stalking their classmates. They set up burner accounts. They start harassing people. But when you see I said this to all of my friends because they know that I've been I brought in the word incel into my people's lives. They're like, what is this? So <laughs> like you're going to start hearing about it. And then here we are, March 15th, 2022. The story comes out. and I sent to all my friends. I go, here are our new terrorists, <sighs> porn addicts that are teenagers that hate people. And their parents have no idea. It's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying. Going back to um, 
your your career and stuff and and how you've obviously moved away from doing um adult content you've you've gone mainstream inverted commas what was there a particular moment that you decided this i've had enough of this and i i just want to get out of it um and i guess that was probably not only a hard decision perhaps but also the process of doing that maybe not so simple it wasn't really uh, a defining moment. There were just a series of events. You know, I've taken breaks in the industry before 1997. I took a break due to the fact that we were having an HIV break outbreak that we could, couldn't pinpoint the performer. You can watch a documentary called Porndemic, and it talks about that time. I left before the business did find out who that person was because once, you know, three or four people or HIV positive and everybody's still shooting. I'm like, okay, you know what? No paycheck is yeah, worth. Yeah, yeah. And in the 90s, we didn't have the treatments. We've now treated two people in the world uh, and cured. So that's incredible progress. And yeah. now we have medication. But at that time, it was very scary. Um, and then throughout the industry, the health factor was always my biggest concern, right? How many more scenes can I do before something happens where I've got uh, a virus of some sort that stays with me forever? Yeah. You can only get so popular and be so intelligent in the industry until somewhat of it turns against you. Once you know your value, it's never a good thing. That's why the average life expectancy in the industry years is three to five years. That's the longest performers normally stay. There's, you know, there's your vets that have been there, but when you see thousands of girls and men coming into the industry every month because of the internet, most of them will make it six months, a year, that if they make it past that first year, they're a good three to five years they'll stay in. But it's, it's a tough uh, industry because of the level of competition, because of um, the lack of education doesn't allow people to understand that some people are more successful than other people because they work very hard, mm -hmm. because they do the right things. You know, to them, it's like, why isn't it me? Mm -hmm. And that's a tough thing. It's like being in a gang for a sense. And it's like when you do try to leave, it's very difficult to leave. People make it very difficult. I wrote uh, in my newest book, a great opening about, you know, the death threats and the horrible things that happened to me once I left the industry and the things that people did uh, to, to and, and bullied me on Twitter and said horrible things and attacked my family. And some of these people I had just been given a paycheck to like the month before. Wow. Some of these people I let live at my house in Los Angeles when they were shooting. But what people realize is when they're either no longer going to make money off of you or from you, you are useless to them. And they do not want to see you step away and succeed because their level of success relies on you still succeeding in that world where they could profit off of you in one way, shape, or form. So uh, the STD issue was really bad in 2013. Uh, we had another HIV uh, outbreak. Uh, it was three or four performers. We had a performer who was faking his test that had syphilis. Uh, we just had a lot of shutdowns. And, you know, you just get to a point, I was in my 40s, and you get to a point where you're like, is it responsible for me to continue doing this? Are these the people that I should be trusting with my health for the rest of my life? You know, everything else about it was great. Doing scenes is fun. My last couple of years, I produced all of my own movies so I could just rely on myself. I built my team. I picked the locations. I did the set design. I hired the performers. So what could go wrong? But your health is still first and foremost. And, and for me, that became a very loud voice and a very reality-based voice of it's time to kind of step aside. It sounds a little bit like the mafia. Yeah, it's very much like that. Yeah, yeah. 
sort of I, I guess almost like ruling through fear a little bit that fear if you go and do your own thing or step away then you will be nothing and you need us kind of thing and that, that that's not a healthy kind of way for anyone to work or perform or live no for sure not but did anybody expect that to be a totally healthy existence i mean it's a great you know place to visit but uh it can't be a forever it's very hard i mean i admire everyone that's been able to find their niche and stay whether they're performers or photographers or producers um because you have to have a ton of tenacity and you're fighting the same battle all the time coming from someone we spoke of earlier in this conversation about me being so curious and me wanting to see other things I'm only willing to fight the same battle so many times before I'm like, there's got to be a new battle for me to fight yeah. somewhere else. This is getting repetitive. And this might sound, this is a question that just popped into my head. And it might sound like, it might be a terrible question. I apologize. And it might be a really obvious answer on, or not. But is there like a performers union of some sort or anything like that? There isn't. And it's been talked about. But when you have, like I said, a thousand new entries a month and people coming and going at such a short pace, it'd be really hard to unionize union jobs are great when someone keeps them you know a great union in new york city is the doorman and these men will and women will keep their jobs for 20 30 years you know you're not going to have that and the turnover and the paperwork would just be too much way too much yeah it's a shame though because it's and they're independent contractors as well and that would change the status of making them employees which would be a complete losing battle for the production companies there would be no way to profit anymore if you had to make mm. all your performers employees right okay yeah i was going back to a point i made earlier about that connection thing like going with the union thing do people do, do people help each other out do do you do people offer each other advice do people put their arms around each other there are is some, there support there there's a bit you know there's a bit there's a there's a good and there's a bad right there's there's a bit of both you know i see it and uh, it's usually shorter lived, like, you know, people will be closed for a short period of time, but it's become a lot more competitive and see when I say competitive, it's visibly competitive. When a girl posts a photo on Instagram, she can see how many likes the other girl gets. Yeah. She can see how many followers she has. It becomes so, so analytically motivated, right? That it, there's an obsession that can be created and people become you know, competitive and that can make people also very petty and that can bring out the worst in people. So there's that that we didn't have in the 90s. And sorry to drag on with the mafia an analogy. Um, <laughs> he loves it. But um, you're obviously, you know, it's really fascinating talking to you about it and you're obviously very outspoken and, and keen to let people know sort of what it was like and what it is like now. Are there many other people doing that? Or I feel like maybe you're one of the few people that's sort of speaking out about this. Well, it's easier to speak out when you're no longer trying to get a paycheck in the industry. It's yeah. very tough because you can easily not get work. Um, and I think I speak in both sides of it, you know, the pros and the cons. I'm not opposed to anyone getting into the industry. I want them to be prepared for what they might face and also just save your money. Because if you save your money, the bullshit you go through isn't really that big of a deal at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of temptations with lifestyle and drugs and things that some people easily fall into. Those weren't really my things. It's not my jam. I wanted to be in Australia. You know, I wanted to, I wanted mm -hmm. to go places and do things. And I ended up getting more work because I was reliable and because I didn't do drugs. And so you become that person that everybody's like, well, we can rely on her. She's never been late. She's never missed a show. She's never done this. And 
that's not the same for everybody because it is easy as a young person to get sucked into that lifestyle. Yeah, I've always said that like in, in almost any industry you work in, if you just are professional, turn up, do the job, yeah. turn up on time, you will get more work. Mm. Yeah. Even and you got to be patient. Be consistent, you know, be on time all the time, uh, you know, respond to your emails in a timely fashion. You know, my rule of thumb Monday through Friday is I respond to every email within 24 hours. So that's just Monday through Friday. I don't do it weekends. But, you know, I will email somebody about even my podcast and like 11 days goes by and they'll respond and I won't book them. And then they'll be like, well, why won't you book them? like? Because if it took you 11 days to respond to this <laughs> yeah. email, I was doubtful that you're going to show up for this interview. Yeah. I Doubtful. You know, it's not a priority to you. This meant nothing. So you can read and smart people will read behind between the lines. Like when you're going to do these events, these people are paying your airfare. Can't change the ticket if the girl doesn't show up. But if you have to book somebody else last minute, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So reliability was kind of my strength when there were a lot of people that weren't. Yeah. So coming out of the industry, that must have been quite a hard process. I guess you you probably had a plan again because I, I can assume you had some sort of plan when you were coming out. And I know you started doing like radio stuff and, and you'd done some other bits before that as well, media stuff. But was, was, it, was it difficult though? Because obviously you, I guess there is a slight stigma attached to you being an adult film star. I think... That, there must have been some of that residual kind of stuff from that. People are stuff. awful. People are awful. I mean, you know, like, you know, you're going to tweet and you're going to get a million. Why should I listen to you when you used to have a dick in your ass? You know what I mean? Like, people are awful. Of course you're going to get that. Um, but I took a year to carefully map out how I was going to retire, uh, made sure that I was taking care of myself. You know, I had my finances set. I had a financial goal set and, you know, that I put aside years ago where I said, okay, if you could retire, it's much money. Um, and I, I really thought it through. I also thought about what it was going to be like. And I will say not to sound like a Pollyanna or to sound too positive, but people are, are actually nicer than I thought they would be unless people really care as long as you present yourself well and you're reliable again and whatever the new thing is you're doing, whether it was me working for Sirius XM or, you know, all the different things that I've done. So it was only hard on the Internet, of course, because yeah. that's where people it's a verbal free for all. And so that was where it was tough. But, you know, at the end of the day, like uh, I, I thought it would be more of a struggle than it was. I thought people were going to be more awkward with me than they were. But I, I you know, present myself in a way that. I know who I am and I understand if people aren't on team Lisa Ann and that they don't get it, that's totally fine with me. I'm never going to expect everybody to understand the life that I've lived. And if it's makes them uncomfortable, I understand that too. Um, it's not for everybody and it's not for some reason, it's just really hard to process because we have this image of what we would think that somebody would be like that did that, that person's broken. They're a drug addict. They're this, you know, they, they've lost their way. And it's like, no, I actually just got to see the fucking world and not spend a dime of my own money and make a shit ton of money and have fun and meet people everywhere I went. But it's not something that people see. They see the scene. That's all they see is the scene. They don't see the in-between. They don't know about your trade show in Australia. They don't know about you going to Germany. They don't know any of this. You know what I mean? They see that. So I get it. Um, and I was prepared for it. And I was really ready. I was really ready after 2013. That year was really 
just so stressful with all of these outbreaks of STDs. Like it was just every day going to set was like a, a, a little panic attack of like, this is the day, this is the day, something bad going to happen. You know, uh, that was really tough. And also you just get a little bit, um, there's a lot of sadness, a lot of overdoses, a lot of suicides, a lot of death. And, you know, I've always had friends outside of the industry. So, like, that's not our normal conversation. Eventually, you get smart enough to realize, like, I should probably just submerge myself into a different world to feel different emotions, to be around different people, to be less under a dark cloud, even though the industry was so great for me. But it's just so normalized that people overdose and commit suicide. Like, it's just so normal. And nobody shuts down. Everybody keeps shooting. You get, like, a call on set. This happened. Okay, great. We'll go about our day. Like, that is not healthy. Mm. And so to live a more soulful life, I was willing to take whatever chance, face whoever gave me an off-putting look, and just be like, I get it. Like, if that's what's going to be like, that's okay. Because it sure is less painful than what I've been subjected to for so many years of my life. Yeah, and that must have been, a, as you say, a very anxiety-inducing time to be going to work. And it sounds like nobody was, I guess, talking about these things. Everyone was just head down and trying to crack on. Well, it's, it's a little bit of, like, some people are talking about it, but, you know, we don't have a lot of really good financial awareness in the industry. And for those who rely on only shooting, like I'll use the guys, for example, the male performers, they can't go and do events. They can't go and do trade shows like we can. They don't have all of this other opportunity yeah. To make money and if they weren't educated by someone or have some sort of help on how they're saving their money well they might be really stressed about not working and they might want to work through uh, an outbreak of something out of just putting food on their table yeah yeah that's fair enough yeah. I mean it's amazing how many people have made so much money and saved none of it and yeah. When, you know, when there is something that pops up now, I'll reach out to my closer friends that are still in the business. I just want to check in mental health check. Like I, I saw that there was an HIV positive. You know, how are you doing? Do you know all this? And there's two ways of thinking. Like there's my friends that are like, it's cool. You know, I'm going to take an extra two weeks off after it reopens and test multiple times because I'm just not ready. And then the other people are like, I don't think it's anybody we know. We'll probably be back to work tomorrow. And to me, that is a sign that you did not save money and you cannot afford to take those extra two weeks off. Yeah. And do you, do you, obviously, as you are outspoken about this kind of thing, do you get younger performers now in the industry coming to you and asking for advice or help or anything like that? They do. And, you know, I had an interesting conversation with a, a girl who's not in the industry, but she did start in OnlyFans. And I was doing a podcast, and it was at Barstool, and it's going to be a new podcast about OnlyFans. So it's her and my friend, Glenny. And so I asked her a bunch of questions. Like, I said, I have some questions for you, if you don't mind. Well, who's your record keeper? I said, you know, who's keeping your 2257 paperwork? And she was like, well, what's that? I'm like, well, you need model releases, and you need IDs proving that the people that you're working with are 18 years old. And you need to have all of this in, a, in, a, in an online vault. And if OnlyFans or anybody comes to you and says, we need to verify this scene. If you don't have it, they'll take the scene down. Um, and if you work with a guy who maybe in 10 years wants to get into politics, he could sue you if you don't have releases for that scene. Like there's all these things that I asked her. So where, what industry testing center are you guys using? And the reason I asked that is because the industry testing centers where you can live anywhere. And even if there wasn't there's one by you. You can go and get your blood drawn. They'll ship it for you. And the reason you use an industry testing center is because you're able to enter in the person's name 
Uh, it'll give you a green button that they're good to go or a red button because of HIPAA. We're not releasing all the data anymore like we used to, but it'll let you know whether they're good to go or not. And you can see how many times they've tested, and that gives you a little bit of their history. And she was like, well, you know, I'm just doing scenes with my friends. I'm like, well, so you know, uh, one out of every five people your age has herpes, and it's coming up on two. So obviously, you're not getting, you're not looking at this as if it's serious. And if you contract something at such a young age and have to manage that for the rest of your life, that's a problem. And I realized because of OnlyFans, some people aren't taking it seriously. And it's not OnlyFans' fault. There's a lot of great paperwork on there. When you first sign up, they have all the rules and regulations. But this is kind of what happens when non-producers become producers. When non-porn stars start doing porn, um, they just don't have their ducks in a row and they haven't really thought it through. And that's going to be an issue with testing. Yeah, that's really interesting because I was going to ask about obviously new platforms and stuff maybe giving performers a bit of power back and a bit of money. Yeah, they do. But as you said, and as you said earlier in the podcast, if you don't treat these things like a business, then it all falls apart at some point and you get yourself yeah. in trouble. It's just like any other business, you know? It's just like you want to open yourself a restaurant. It's no different. You know, it's a different form of art for sure. It's not things that everybody understands, but it is legal. It is a tax-generating job. Uh, the industry contributes a ton of tax dollars us as performers, producers, everybody. So if you don't take it seriously, then you're going to get behind on your books or yeah. you're going to get behind on something. And it's just like any other business. You reinvest back into it, whether it's by form of doing your nails, your hair, taking care of your body, buying wardrobe. You know, that that is your your dishes, per se, pots and pans. You know, you hire an editor, so that's your cook. It's just like a restaurant. You just got to be smart. But it's it's also very tough because 18-year-olds get in the business, you're making a ton of money. Who's going to take the time exactly. to go and watch a YouTube video about starting a business? Exactly. Who's going to take the time? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're having so much fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's so it's so true, but you would never imagine a porn star doing their accounts or doing their books. But it's obviously still part of the job. You, just, you would never think about that. Oh, we had to think about it immediately because you're an independent contractor and every club you go to is sending you a separate 1099. So the stack of mail you have yeah. to do your taxes is this high. And then you have to look at that and go, oh, this is for real. Yeah. Like this is mm. not, it, this is real. This is a real business. Look at all this paperwork I have. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, it's been so great to talk to you, Lisa. And you're, I think you're killing it at the moment. Like, love seeing all your posts and the podcasts that you're doing and, um, well, all the stuff you're doing. I think it's amazing. It's very inspiring. So big kudos to you. I appreciate um, that. And let me just say, I think it's been so great to be me because when I left the industry, I just wanted to be a pace car and I wanted the younger women. Like now I'm meeting young performers that weren't in the business when I was in the business. And the admiration they have for me is so moving because it keeps me on the straight and narrow. Because I know I don't want to be in the bad news, right? I don't want to be doing something wrong and be on TMZ. Yeah. I don't want to do it. I want to also show them that if you are solid as a human being, no matter what you did in your past, you can do whatever you want with your future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so true, so true. I've got one final question, if that's okay. And, yeah. And I was on your Wikipedia page, and it said that you... you um, in a porn film, you played Sarah Palin. And that, that brought me back to like, oh my word, late to Sarah Palin, I'd forgotten about her. But I didn't realize- Who's Nail and Palin? How could you forget who's Nail and Palin? <laughs> the greatest projects of my life. I, she's you know, etched, she's I, very that, much I, etched in my brain, I Jim. love I don't her know what, so much. You. 
first of all. Uh, but I mean, that was such a big boost in my career. I got to be in an Eminem video yeah. as Sarah Palin. Uh, I traveled the world. I went to Finland and all the buses were covered. I was doing a show there. All the buses were covered with me as Sarah Palin. I was like, this is so surreal. I'm in like a country where nobody speaks my language. And there I am. That woman got me traveling. She got me a lot of airline miles. She made me very popular. And it was a super fun role to play, especially because I got to be a part of this with Larry Flint, uh, who we know is no longer with us, rest in peace. But he was such an amazing, powerful, intelligent, awesome human. Uh, and to do this for his company and be that close with Hustler and travel with the team a bunch. And, you know, to there's there was times where, like, I made a lot of my own money through my own things. But there's nothing more powerful that I ever felt than making other people money. Well, I'm still making my money, but like bringing my brand, like when I would go to a club and the club would be packed and the girls would come up to me and like, oh my gosh, we made so much money while you were here. Thank you so much. And I'm like, dude, that is so awesome yeah. that you can do that. That was a big time because at that time, Hustler was getting ready to uh, let go of a lot of people, shut down their production from five days a week to four days a week. Like the internet was like strangleholding everybody. And that really... Uh, brought this legs again and really made things fine. There were like certain companies I loved doing things for and Hustler was one of them. And, you know, I knew when I was, when I got booked for the shoot, um, I wanted to of course purchase all of my own wardrobe. I did not trust the porn companies to buy my wardrobe. I just <laughs> did. And also I really wanted to do Sarah Palin justice. Like, you know, don't, don't put her in a polyester suit. Like she needs to be wearing some good brands. Yeah. Uh, she wears good brands herself. And if I'm going to pull this off, you know, I'm going to buy good brands. And I knew I, I sew. So I have a sewing machine. I've sewed since I was a kid. So I knew I would want to alter them because how am I really going to go into a regular seamstress and say, okay, I need this skirt. You're going to cut. This is a expensive. This is a Tahari suit. You know, you're going to, you're going to cut this much of the skirt off and you're going to leave you with this. And then you're going to change this to, to the guy get cleavage. So I realized I would sew them all myself. And the one thing I knew about Larry, he was in a wheelchair, you knew this, and he loved legs. So that was a big, big benefit to him sitting, right? He always got to see everybody's legs. So I knew that the priority of these suits was to make them as short as possible <laughs> because I'm not that tall. I'm only 5'2". And know that, you know, I'm going to wear these as short as possible so he gets as much leg out of this whole Sarah Palin thing as possible. So I was like... You know, my little thing. And I actually spent more on my wardrobe for Who's Nail and Palin than I got paid to shoot the movie. Really? Oh, really? Wow. That's dedication. And did, did But listen, I was right to do that because then I had suits to wear in the MM video. I had suits to yeah, wear on the road. Exactly. This was going to be the most seen adult movie shoot ever in history. Mainstream press was there. TMZ was there. A bunch of reporters were there. Like this was a moment where I was like, if I'm going to market myself for the next four years on this, then you're going to rock this right the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And did, did you, did, did you ever hear from her? Did she ever like talk about whether she liked it Guys, or anything? Uh, you know, no, I am still trying, you know, I DM her on the regular <laughs> on Instagram. I would do nothing would make me happier than meeting her. I went to her hometown of Wasala, Alaska. I've done all I could and I'm not quitting. You know, she was just here. By the way, I did just purchase a nice series of 
Palin for President 2024 t-shirts, which are now available on Amazon. So, I mean, I'm doing my fair share. I would love to meet her. I follow her on all social media, but no, I never got to hear from her. Well, I hope it happens for you. It's still yeah, time. It's still, still time. time. It is a goal of 2022. <laughs> We've been manifesting this. We're going we to manifest mani- it now. We're yeah, we'll make it happen. Uh, we are manifesting this so much. She's, she's really a fun follow, and she's really a brilliant woman, and she was really... If you watch the Palin documentary that was done uh, after uh, a couple of years later, it was very interesting to know, you know, how she really never met McCain till late in the race and how this was, you know, uh, was not really planned out very well. It kind of made her look bad. But when you go to Alaska, um, when I was doing the Sarah Palin bit, I could not get a job there to feature dance or go up here because they loved her so much that they felt it was disrespectful. Oh, wow. Mm. They love her there. They love her there. She did good co- good politics for them. They love her. There you go. Yeah, you can tell. But if she does run for president, I will be campaigning everybody. <laughs> get those suits yeah, out. Yeah, get the suits out. <laughs> oh, I've sold all of those suits. Those are all out of my life. I sold all of those in my pursuit of minimalism, something I talk about in my new book, The Life Back. Um I decided to uh, get rid of 75% of my belongings and live as a minimalist. So the Sarah Palin suits were sold. Ah, oh. shame. I'm sure they've gone to a loving home. I'm sure someone's looking up. Yes, yeah. someone's very happy. Uh, Lisa Ann, thank you. It's been, yeah. it's been just such a joy talking to you. Thanks for your openness. And just it's been fascinating. And yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you for following me, reaching out to me, and uh, for you, stop looking at Twitter when you first wake up in the morning. Don't do <laughs> I'll that. try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll try. I will try. That's my uh, that's my mission. Brilliant. Thank you so much. go not an episode like it that we've done before well that was a fantastic lisa and on uh, the blank podcast um, fascinating individual fascinating story in life um and just you know i think as you said i i, I kind of regret using the sort of mafia analogy but it did sound a little bit like it is one of these industries that you don't go outside and talk about and you know you just you 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 do your thing and you know you don't sort of expose anything but she's obviously talking very honestly about it and I think you know when she's talking about the sort of the impact on young men being addicted to it and stuff Mm. it it needs people to talk about it so you know I respect her I guess there's kind of a bravery there attached to doing that but she's very focused and driven and a fantastic guest as well. So thank you, Lisa, for coming on. We uh, we, we loved it. Well, and yeah, and I guess she's using her experiences to sort of inform now as well, isn't she? And obviously like learning yeah. about the incel stuff, which I, again is, is a term I've only heard about recently. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was through a, a, a true crime podcast because it is becoming, you know, I know she was sort of saying, you know, there's not an ep- epidemic at the moment, but it's certainly something that's growing and um it's you know it's quite scary stuff so it was you know it's it's interesting that she's really sort of diving into that subject and wanting to learn more about it and obviously to help hopefully you know some of these people get some rehabilitation or just be able to talk more openly so people are more aware about these things going on um so yeah yeah, that was really fascinating and uh yeah you know just like 
she's done so well. She's done so well to come, you know, come out of the industry, which she's obviously done really, been very successful in, and and, and is now being very successful in, 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 I guess, the mainstream, which, I, you know, I don't use the word mainstream, cause, but it, I guess that's kind of how you have to label it. But, yeah, just kind of coming out of that industry and going into the sort of more regular creative industry, and she's doing really well for herself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, change doesn't happen unless people do speak up and talk about it, particularly people who have her experience as well. So, uh, yeah, she was great and uh, doing some important work as well. So thank you very much to Lisa Ann for coming on. Mm. And we hope our listeners enjoyed that. A bit of a gear change for us. But, uh, you know, this is what this podcast is about. It's a platform for kind of anything, really. So, you know, we hope people have appreciated uh, uh, something a little bit different this week. And, of course, if you want to hear extra content, uh, from Lisa Ann, uh, you can on our patron, patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash blank podcast. But if you want to get in contact with us, just generally, Giles, on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, which I haven't checked in a long time. I don't know if we're getting messages on there. Um, our handle is? At blank pod. It is exactly the same for all three. So we'd love to uh, hear from you. And if you tweet us about episodes you enjoyed, then obviously we'll, we'll try and read them out in the future as well. Uh, but that's it. Just it's ten thirty at night. We did. We just do. We do not do evening pods that often, and it's no, weird I'm to look up we're and still see awake. I know, I know. But uh, you know, the things we do for our guests sometimes we're just yeah. We're very flexible. Yeah, indeed. We're always yeah, yeah flexible friend. What was that? <laughs> what advert was that? Oh, I think a fisherman's friend. That's very different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's that's a throat sweet. I think flexible friend was some sort of Visa debit card or something. Oh, okay. Not nothing. No nothing. Sort of to do with yoga. That's what no, I'm thinking, no, sort of yoga, no. like a or a, or a rolling a, a roller that you use for going to the gym or something. No. no, we this has derailed the episode. Let's just wrap As, it up. Yeah, fucking yeah. hell. Sorry. Anyway, thank you to our listeners. We love you. Thank you to our patrons. We love you as well. And thanks for your support. And thank you, thank you to Lisa and of course for being a fantastic guest, Charles. Thanks to you. Uh, thanks to you, Jim. There we go. We've got to get a better sign-off, haven't we? We've been doing that for 150 episodes. <laughs> I can't think of anything better. And it's too late at night. That's uh, it for this week. But we'll maybe next week we'll get a better sign-off. We probably won't. It's good we'll, night we'll... for me. <laughs> and it's good night from Jim. There, Aye. Go. there you go. <laughs> Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.